0: SECTION TWENTY-FIVE of TO THE LAST MAN BY ZANE GRAY THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. CHAPTER THIRTEEN PART ONE Jean Isbel, holding the wolf-dog Shep in leash, was on the trail of the most dangerous of Jorth's gang, the gunman Queen. Dark drops of blood on the stones, and plain tracks of a rider, sharp-heeled boots behind coverts, indicated the trail of a wounded, slow traveling fugitive therefore jean isbel held in the dog and proceeded with the wary eye and watchful caution of an indian queen true to his class and emulating blue with the same magnificent effrontery and with the same paralyzing suddenness of surprise had appeared as if by magic at the last night camp of the isbel faction jean had seen him first in time to leap like a panther into the shadow. But he carried in his shoulder Queen's first bullet of that terrible encounter. Upon Gordon and Fredericks fell the brunt of Queen's fusillade, and they shot to pieces, staggering and falling, held passionate grip on life long enough to draw and still Queen's guns and send him reeling off into the darkness of the forest. unarmed. And hindered by a painful wound, Jean had kept a vigil near camp that silent and menacing night. Morning disclosed Gordon and Frederick Stark and Ghastly beside the burned-out campfire, their guns clutched immovably in stiffened hands. Jean buried them as best he could, and when they were underground with flat stones on their graves, he knew himself to be indeed the last of the Isbel clan and all that was wild and savage in his blood and desperate in his spirit rose to make him more than man and less than human. Then for the third time during these tragic last days the wolf-dog Shep came to him. Jean washed the wound Queen had given him and bound it tightly. The keen pang and burn of the lead was a constant and all-powerful reminder of the grim work left for him to do. THE WHOLE WORLD WAS NO LONGER LARGE ENOUGH FOR HIM, AND WHOEVER WAS LEFT OF THE JORTHS. THE HERITAGE OF BLOOD HIS FATHER HAD BEQUEATHED HIM, THE unshakable LOVE FOR A WORTHLESS GIRL, WHO HAD SO DWARFED AND OBSTRUCTED HIS WILL, AND SO BITTERLY DEFEATED AND REVILED HIS POOR, ROMANTIC, BOYISH FAITH, THE KILLING OF HOSTILE MEN, SO STRANGE IN ITS AFTER EFFECTS, THE PURSUITS AND FIGHTS, AND LOSS OF ONE BY ONE OF HIS CONFEDERATES, these had finally engendered in Jean Isabel a wild, unslackable thirst. These had been the cause of his retrogression, these had unalterably and ruthlessly fixed in his darkened mind one fierce passion to live and die the last man of that Jorth Isbel feud. At sunrise Jean left this camp, taking with him only a small knapsack of meat and bread, and with the eager wild shep in leash he set out on queen's bloody trail black drops of blood on the stones and an irregular trail of footprints proved to jean that the gunman was hard hit here he had fallen or knelt or sat down evidently to bind his wounds jean found strips of scarf red and discarded and the blood drops failed to show on more rocks in a deep forest of spruce under silver-tipped spreading branches Queen had rested, perhaps slept. Then, laboring with dragging steps, not improbably with a lame leg, he had gone on, up out of the dark green ravine to the open, dry, pine-tipped ridge. Here he had rested, perhaps waited to see if he were pursued. From that point, his trail spoke an easy language for jean's keen eye. The gunman knew he was pursued. He had seen his enemy. Therefore, jean proceeded with a slow caution, never getting within revolver range of ambush, using all his woodcraft to trail this man and yet save himself. Queen traveled slowly, either because he was wounded or else because he tried to ambush his pursuer. And jean accommodated his pace to that of Queen. From noon of that day, they were never far apart, never out of hearing of a rifle shot. The contrast of the beauty and peace and loneliness of the surroundings to the nature of Queen's flight often obtruded its strange truth into the somber turbulence of Jean's mind, into that fixed columnar idea around which fleeting thoughts hovered and gathered like shadows. Early frost had touched the heights with its magic wand, and the forest seemed a temple in which man might worship nature and life rather than steal through the dells and under the archdials like a beast of prey the green and gold leaves of aspens quivered in the glades maples in the ravines fluttered their red and purple leaves the needle matted carpet under the pines vied with the long lanes of silver grass alike enticing to the eye of man and beast sunny rays of light flecked with dust and flying insects slanted down from the overhanging, brown-limbed, green-masted foliage. Roar of wind in the distant forest alternated with soft breeze close at hand. Small dove-gray squirrels ran all over the woodland, very curious about Jean and his dog, rustling the twigs, scratching the barks of trees, chattering and barking, frisky, saucy and bright-eyed. A plaintive twitter of wild canaries came from the region above the treetops. First voices of birds in their pilgrimage toward the south. Pine cones dropped with soft thuds. The blue jays followed these intruders in the forest, screeching their displeasure. Like rain, pattered the dropping seeds from the spruce. A woody, earthy, leafy fragrance, damp with the current of life, mingled with a cool, dry, sweet smell, of withered grass and rotting pines. Solitude and lonesomeness, peace and rest, wildlife and nature, reigned there. It was a golden green region, enchanting to the gaze of man. An Indian would have walked there with his spirits. And even as Jean felt all this elevating beauty and inscrutable spirit, his keen eye once more fastened upon the blood-red drops Queenette again left on the gray moss and rock his wound had reopened jean felt the thrill of the scenting panther the sun set twilight gathered night fell jean crawled under a dense low-spreading spruce ate some bread and meat fed the dog and lay down to rest and sleep his thoughts burdened him heavy and black as the mantle of night a wolf mourned a hungry cry for a mate shep quivered under jean's hand that was the call which had lured him from the ranch the wolf blood in him yearned for the wild jean tied the cowhide leash to his wrist when this dark business was at an end shep could be free to join the lonely mate morning out there in the forest then jean slept dawn broke cold clear frosty with silvered grass sparkling with a soft faint rustling of fallen aspen leaves when the sun rose red jean was again on the trail of queen by a frosty ferned brook where water tinkled and ran clear as air and cold as ice jean quenched his thirst leaning on a stone that showed drops of blood queen too had quenched his thirst what good what help jean wondered could the cold sweet granite water so dear to woodsmen and wild creatures, do this wounded, hunted rustler. Why did he not wait in the open to fight and face the death he had met it? Where was that splendid and terrible daring of the gunman? Queen's love of life dragged him on and on, hour by hour, through the pine groves and spruce woods, through the oak swales and aspen glades, up and down the rocky gorges, and around the windfalls and over the rotting logs. The time came when Queen tried no more ambush. He gave up trying to trap his pursuer by lying in wait. He gave up trying to conceal his tracks. He grew stronger, or, in desperation, increased his energy, so that he redoubled his progress through the wilderness. That at best would count only a few miles a day. And he began to circle to the northwest, back toward the deep canyon, where Blaisdell and Bill Isbel had reached the end of their trails queen had evidently left his comrades he had lone handed it in his last fight but he was now trying to get back to them somewhere in these wild deep forest breaks the rest of the jorth faction had found a hiding place jean let queen lead him there ellen jorth would be with them jean had seen her it had been his shot that killed colter's horse and he had withheld further fire because Coulter had dragged the girl behind him, protecting his body with hers. Sooner or later, Jean would come upon their camp. She would be there. The thought of her dark beauty wasted in wantonness upon these rustlers added a deadly rage to the blood-lust and righteous wrath of his vengeance. Let her again flaunt her degradation in his face and, by the God she had forsaken, he would kill her and so end the race of jorths. Another night fell dark and cold, without starlight. The wind moaned in the forest. Shep was restless. He sniffed the air. There was a step on his trail. Again a mournful, eager, wild and hungry wolf cry broke the silence. It was deep and low, like that of a baying hound, but infinitely wilder. Shep strained to get away. During the night, while Jean slept, He managed to chew the cow-eyed leash apart and run off. Next day, no dog was needed to trail Queen. Fog and low-drifting clouds in the forest and a misty rain had put the rustler off his bearings. He was lost and showed that he realized it. Strange how a mature man, fighter of a hundred battles, steeped in bloodshed and on his last stand, should grow panic-stricken upon being lost. So Jean Isbel read the signs of the trail. Queen circled and wandered through the foggy, dripping forest until he headed down into a canyon. It was one that notched the rim and led down and down, mile after mile, into the basin. Not soon had Queen discovered his mistake. When he did do so, night overtook him. The weather cleared before morning. Red and bright the sun burst out of the east to flood that low basin land with light. Jean found that Queen had traveled on and on, hoping, no doubt, to regain what he had lost. But in the darkness, he had climbed to the Manzanita slopes instead of back up the canyon. And here he had fought the hold of that strange brush of Spanish name until he fell exhausted. Surely Queen would make a stand and wait somewhere in this devilish thicket for Jean to catch up with him. Many and many a place jean would have chosen had he been in queen's place many a rock and dense thicket jean circled or approached with extreme care manzanita grew in patches that were impenetrable except for a small animal the brush was a few feet high seldom so high that jean could not look over it and of a beautiful appearance having glossy small leaves a golden berry and branches of dark red color. These branches were tough and unbendable. Every bush, almost, had low branches that were dead, hard as steel, sharp as thorns, as clutching as cactus. Progress was possible only by endless detours, to find the half-closed aisle between patches, or else by crashing through with main strength or walking right over the tops. Jean preferred this last method. Not because it was the easiest, but for the reason that he could see ahead so much farther. So he literally walked across the tips of the manzanita brush. Often he fell through, and had to step up again. Many a branch broke with him, letting him down. But for the most part, he stepped from fork to fork, on branch after branch, with balance of an Indian and the patience of a man whose purpose was sustaining and immutable on that south slope under the rim the sun beat down hot there was no breeze to temper the dry air and before midday jean was laboring wet with sweat parching with thirst dusty and hot and tiring it amazed him the doggedness and tenacity of life shown by this wounded rustler The time came when, under the burning rays of the sun, he was compelled to abandon the walk across the tips of the manzanita bushes and take to the winding open threads that ran between. It would have been poor sight, indeed, that he could not have followed Queen's labyrinthine and broken passage through the brush. Then the time came when Jean espied Queen, far ahead and above, crawling like a black bug, along the bright green slope sight then acted upon jean as upon a hound in the chase but he governed his actions if he could not govern his instincts slowly but surely he followed the dusty hot trail and never a patch of blood failed to send a thrill along his veins queen headed up toward the rim finally vanished from sight had he fallen was he hiding but the hour disclosed that he was crawling John's keen eye caught the slow moving of the brush and enabled him to keep just so close to the rustler out of the range of the six shooters he carried. And so all the interminable hours of the hot afternoon, that snail-paced flight and pursuit, kept on. Halfway up the rim, the growth of manzanita gave place to open yellow, rocky slope dotted with cedars. Queen took to a slow ascending ridge, and left his bloody tracks all the way to the top, where in the gathering darkness the weary pursuer lost them. Another night passed. Daylight was relentless to the rustler. He could not hide his trail, but somehow, in a desperate last rally of strength, he reached a point on the heavily timbered ridge that Jean recognized as being near the scene of the fight in the canyon. Queen was nearing the rendezvous of the rustlers, John crossed tracks of horses, and then more tracks that he was certain had been made days past by his own party. To the left of this ridge must be the deep canyon that had frustrated his efforts to catch up with the rustlers on the day Blaisdell lost his life, and probably Bill Isbel too. Something warned John that he was nearing the end of the trail, and an unaccountable sense of imminent catastrophe seemed foreshadowed by vague dreads and doubts in his gloomy mind. Jean felt the need of rest, of food, of ease from the strain of the last weeks. But his spirit drove him implacably. Queen's rally of strength ended at the edge of an open, bald ridge that was bare of brush or grass, and was surrounded by a line of forest on three sides, and on the fourth by a low bluff which raised its gray head above the pines across this dusty open, Queen had crawled, leaving unmistakable signs of his condition. Jean took long survey of the circle of trees and of the low, rocky eminence, neither of which he liked. It might be wiser to keep the cover, jean thought, and work around to where Queen's trail entered the forest again. But he was tired, gloomy, and his eternal vigilance was failing. Nevertheless, He stilled for the thousandth time that bold prompting of his vengeance, and, taking to the edge of the forest, he went to considerable pains to circle the open ground. And suddenly, sight of a man sitting back against a tree halted John. He stared to make sure his eyes did not deceive him. Many times stumps and snags and rocks had taken on strange resemblance to a standing or crouching man. This was only another suggestive blunder of the mind behind his eyes. What he wanted to see, he imagined he saw. Jean glided from tree to tree until he made sure that this sitting image indeed was that of a man. He sat bolt upright, facing back across the open, hands resting on his knees, and closer scrutiny showed Jean that he held a gun in each hand. Queen. At last his nerve had revived he could not crawl any farther he could never escape so with the courage of fatality he chose the open to face his foe and die jean had a thrill of admiration for the rustler then he stalked out from under the pines and strolled forward with his rifle ready a watching man could not have failed to espy jean but queen never made the slightest move moreover His stiff, unnatural position struck jean so singularly that he halted with a muttered exclamation. He was now about fifty paces from Queen, within range of those small guns. Jean called sharply, Queen! Still the figure never relaxed in the slightest. Jean advanced a few more paces, rifle up, ready to fire the instant Queen lifted a gun. The man's immobility, brought the cold sweat to jean's brow he stopped to bend the full intense power of his gaze upon this inert figure suddenly over jean flashed its meaning queen was dead he had backed up against a pine ready to face his foe and he had died there not a shadow of a doubt entered jean's mind as he started forward again he knew after all queen's blood would not be on his hands gordon and fredericks in their death throes had given the rustler mortal wounds jean kept on marveling the while how ghastly thin and hard those four days of flight had been hell for queen jean reached him looked down with staring eyes the guns were tied to his hands jean started violently as the whole direction of his mind shifted A lightning glance showed that Queen had been propped against a tree. Another showed boot tracks in the dust. By heaven, they fooled me, hissed John, and quickly as he leaped behind the pine, he was not quick enough to escape the cunning rustlers who had waylaid him thus. He felt the shock, the bite and burn of lead, before he heard a rifle crack. A bullet had ripped through his left forearm. From behind the tree... He saw a puff of white smoke along the face of a bluff, the very spot his keen and gloomy vigilance had descried as one of menace. Then several puffs of white smoke and ringing reports betrayed the ambush of the tricksters. Bullets barked the pine and whistled by. Jean saw a man dart from behind a rock and, leaning over, run for another. Jean's swift shot stopped him midway he fell got up and floundered behind a bush scarcely large enough to conceal him into that bush jean shot again and again he had no pain in his wounded arm but the sense of the shock clung in his consciousness and this with the tremendous surprise of the deceit and sudden release of long damned overmastering passion caused him to empty the magazine of his winchester in a terrible haste to kill the man he had hit. These were all the loads he had for his rifle. Blood passion had made him blunder. Jean cursed himself, and his hand moved to his belt. His six-shooter was gone. The sheath had been loose. He had tied the gun fast, but the strings had been torn apart. The rustlers were shooting again. Bullets thudded into the pine and whistled by. Bending carefully jean reached one of queen's guns and jerked it from his hand the weapon was empty both of his guns were empty jean peeped out again to get the line in which the bullets were coming and marking a course from his position to the cover of the forest he ran with all his might he gained the shelter shrill yells behind him warned that he had been seen that his reason for flight had been guessed looking back He saw two or three men scrambling down the bluff. Then the loud neigh of a frightened horse pealed out. End of chapter 13, part 1